I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, it's Luke Burbank. Welcome to LiveWire. This week, we're going above and beyond with comedian Hari Kondabalu, who graduated from the London School of Economics and had a number one comedy album and is not buying it when people say, hey, I'm just playing devil's advocate. It's just a phrase you could hide behind so you don't look so bad, which is weird because how doesn't it make you look bad to hide behind the devil? Plus, we've got Faith Saley who learned to go above and beyond from her mother. My mother used to do sit-ups while praying the rosary. (laughs) And we have got music from the amazing Joe Kai. He is going to make so many different kinds of sounds with just him and his violin. You will not believe it. It's going to be a great show, so let's get it started. Let's head over to the stage at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. We have a great show in store for you this hour. Our theme is above and beyond because all of our guests are people who have gone above and beyond in some way. And you know those kind of people who you like ask them to do something, you give them an assignment at work, and they bring you back the results, and it's not just what you asked, but it's even better. I love those kind of people. I love working with those kind of people because I am not one of those kind of people. (laughs) Which would not be the end of the world if the stuff that I was doing while I was procrastinating had any value at all. (laughs) Like if I was raising money for orphans, that would be one thing. But the stuff that I do when I should be doing other stuff is the dumbest stuff ever. Might be wondering how I spent today, I'll tell you. A good portion of it was watching a video of a kid who set the record for the most money ever won on Plinko on The Price is Right. It's $31,500, by the way. I then daydreamed for an hour or two about what my strategy would be if I got to play Plinko. I took a nap after that because I was tuckered out. And then I spent... The rest of the afternoon, staring out a window, playing with a fidget spinner. And if you think I'm joking, I brought the fidget spinner. 
Do you guys know about these things? It's not even like figuratively that I'm not an above and beyond person. I literally don't like being above things because I am really afraid of heights. And I wasn't always afraid of heights. In fact, I was kind of a daredevil-y kid. But then something happened when I was 17, which changed all that, and that is I became a father. And I didn't even realize it at the time, but something was imperceptibly changing in my brain. And it all sort of crystallized in this one moment that I still remember. I was on a skateboard. I was riding toward the edge of a bridge. The plan was ollie off the bridge, do some tricks in the air, and then land in a river 60 feet below. (laughs) I had done this a lot of times. But on this particular trip, my brain said, nope, shut it down, Burbank. You are responsible for a small human life now. Don't go paralyzing yourself with any shenanigans. And I started looking at the world differently and seeing all the different ways that I could be injured or incapacitated in some way, which maybe wasn't the greatest thing because now as a 41-year-old man, I am fearful of heights. I don't even like seeing people who are in very high places where it looks precarious. I don't even like to look at that. And I realized, by the way, that what I just said sounds like an obvious setup for talking about the current president of the United States. (laughs) But I'm not taking the bait on that. I don't really know where I'm going with a lot of this stuff. I thought it up in the car on the way here. My point is, I'm not really above and beyond material, but our guests are. So let's get your first one out here. How about it? Our first guest has been going above and beyond her entire life. She was a high school beauty queen, a Rhodes Scholar, an actor on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. For real, look it up. Serena Douglas was the character she played. But as she writes in her new book, Approval Junkie, all this achieving wasn't making Faith Saley as happy as she thought it would. So she decided to stop giving such a crap about everything, which would explain why she agreed to come on Livewire. Please welcome my pal from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, Faith Saley to Livewire. Faith Saley, welcome to Livewire. Thank you, Luke Burbank. Thank you. Hi. Did I, did I read correctly on the internet that, uh, because that's how friends talk now, I looked at your Twitter feed and you said this is your first time in Portland? Yes. First of all, your airport is amazing. I want to move in. Wow, There's you really knew how to pander to this Portland crowd. <laughs> airport I, talk. It was creepy nice. Like, it's not crowded, everybody's in a good mood. There was somebody giving away wine and cheesecake next to a man playing the electric lute. (laughs) Last time I was in the Portland airport, there was a guy playing all marimba covers of Elliott Smith music. But that's like a mad lib of things I don't understand. <laughs> what is marimba and who, this is why I can't live in Portland. I'm not cool. What, who's Elliot Smith? Give it a weekend. Oh no, I lost you. Listen. I lost you. Now this, by the way, this reaction from the crowd is probably particularly challenging for you because as you write in your book, Approval Junkie, yes. how's that for a segue? <laughs> Uh, you are a self-described approval junkie, which you write is not the same as being a perfectionist. What is the difference? Yeah, I don't think an approval, in my definition of an approval junkie, it is not being a perfectionist. It is not being a people pleaser. I think, I think being an approval junkie, you're somebody who is 
vulnerable enough to, to, to admit that, you know, people laughing at your jokes or giving you a high five or telling you you look nice or giving you, you know, A's, whatever, feels good. Like, it's just a human validation. I think a perfectionist is someone who's scared to try something new, right? Is too embarrassed to fall on her face or wants to look perfect when she picks up her kids from school. And I'm definitely not that person. When did you first become aware that you, that you were some kind of approval junkie or person who was very motivated by this kind of feedback? Like, where do you think it started for you? I mean, I think I inherited some of it because my mother used to do sit-ups while praying the rosary. <laughs> that's for real. Like, that's how she kept the beat. That's how she crunched. And, um, and she was just always busy. When, when we were at stoplight, she would pull out her little Bible. She had a miniature Bible in the console of her 280ZX. And she'd just read a little bit, not to waste some time, at a stoplight. And God, if she knew about fidget spinners. <laughs> I mean, that would have changed her life. Um, we have Faith Saley here, by the way. You've probably heard her on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. You've seen her on CBS Sunday Morning or read her awesome book, Approval Junkie. A lot of people do know you from Wait, Wait. And as you write in the book, you take that job so seriously. <laughs> and I, I know this from personal experience sitting next to you. Like, you might take it more seriously than anyone else on the show. Yeah, maybe. Roxanne Roberts takes it pretty seriously. But... Here, it's just like I'm total, I have a total geeky nature. You know, I talk about this in, in the book. I feel really comfortable in Wait, Wait now, but when I first started out, I mean, I was a, I was a groupie. Like, everybody loves that show, right? And so I was very... I think it's okay. Yeah, I don't it's know. okay. It's fine. I mean, it's not live wire, but... No, exactly. Um, but I felt like every appearance for a couple of years was kind of an audition. You know, did, did I, if I, could I make people laugh? And I thought, if I can't make people laugh, I want to get every answer right. So I would just study for it, like Tracy Flick on Adderall. Yeah. And I also, I also have kind of a photographic memory. So you've seen this. I come on with papers. I write down the headline of every story I read on the day of taping because I feel like I'll remember it somehow. You know, because it's hard to remember those really important stories, like the guy who walks around with ferrets in his pants and steals, right. you know, king crab legs out of the supermarket. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's two things I want to make sure we get to. One is uh, the, the added chapter to the paperback version of the book. There's kind of a new final chapter. Yes, they call it an ex libris yes. in the publishing world. Extremely classy and extremely interesting because what you, what you sort of bring up in this is that if you are someone who is wired like you are, if you are an approval junkie, if you want people to give you this certain kind of positive feedback, writing a book creates its own world of that approval either happening or not happening. Yeah. And the new chapter at the end of the book, The Ex Libras, is sort of you trying to deal with your feelings about the response to the book. Yeah. Did the book end up making you more or less happy as a, as a thing that exists? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, it was up and down because when one writes a book, one wants it to be a massive bestseller. And when one very nakedly writes a book called Approval Junkie, one <laughs> is obviously begging for it to be a bestseller. Um, and uh, Could you have named the book New York Times bestseller? <laughs> That's a good thought. Maybe. Maybe for the next XX Libris. Yeah. Um, and so I talk about this in the chapter. It was, I, I had to deal with that. You know, you want to go on Amazon to read your reviews or go on Goodreads. And this friend said to me, because I was saying, I, I gave up so much of my time with my kids to write this book. 
And she said to me, you gave your children the story of their mother. And that's, my mother died when I was 26. I don't have her story. I'm left with so many unanswered questions. And now my children know way more about me than they should ever know. <laughs> and that's a beautiful thing. Now I want to find out what's going on with you and this dog. The publicity oh, material no. for your book reads, Faith lives in New York City with her husband, two children, and her husband's dog. <laughs> How long have you and your husband been married? Um, hold on. Six years. Okay. At what point does it become your dog, Never. too? Never. What's going on with the dog? The dog is fine. The dog... He's very beleaguered. He's very patient. His name's Corbin. He's a rescue from Georgia. I'm also a rescue from Georgia. <laughs> my, that's where I grew up. My husband's very good at that. But I, see, you just walked me into dangerous territory because I already lost you guys with this Elliot Smith dude. <laughs> I once did a commentary on CBS Sunday Morning that I thought would be like adorably con contrary about how I'm not a pet person. Thank you, one person. Uh, can we I, have that person removed from the theater, please? <laughs> I love animals. I really do. I'm like, I'm like that lady who's like, I don't want to have kids, but I'm the world's best aunt. I love animals. I just never wanted any in our tiny New York apartment. But my husband came with two smelly, incontinent dogs, <laughs> like hairy stepchildren that I <laughs> had to immediately welcome into my life. And... So I do now love this dog because my children love Corbin. Uh, but it's not, I didn't, I'm not going to take it out. And it's New York. I'm not going to go down 22 flights and take it out in the middle of the night. And I'm not going to pick up an animal's poop. I'm, I just, I don't get that. Well, here's the thing. You guys are better than I am. Let me just, okay? People who love dogs are better than I am. You're willing to pick up animal's poop. And... I will also say this about, about pet people. God bless you because you know that you have this animal whom you love dearly and it's, it's, it's going to probably die before you do. You're not really getting the nose up on this whole <laughs> line of... But uh, I got more hate mail for that commentary on CBS than anything I've ever done. And I've done much more provocative, like politically provocative commentaries. Well, listen, it, when you write the inevitable follow-up to this book and the publicity material comes out, I know he can't read, so it kind of doesn't matter, but will you just call Corbin your dog to, just to win this crowd back? <laughs> if, if Corbin is still with us, I will say with our dog. Okay, thank you. Faith Saley, her book is Approval Junkie. This is Livewire Radio from PRI. I'm Luke Burbank. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Livewire gets support from Fully. Fully is makers of chairs and desks and all kinds of other things that traditionally, in the olden days, might have meant, if you were using them, that you had to stop moving. But that is not the kind of stuff Fully makes. They make chairs and desks and other things that keep your body in motion so you can stay productive and healthy. In fact, right now, I am sitting on a TikTok stool that my friends at Fully sent me, and it keeps my blood pumping and my brain moving, and I swear, I have been so much more uh, creative, particularly in those kind of logy hours of the afternoon. You know what I'm talking about? If you sit at a desk all day, you get that period of time when your brain just doesn't want to work. Try using some furniture from Fully at your home or office and see how quickly things change for you. 
They make standing desks, which of course involve more than just standing. So they also make a whole line of chairs that promote healthier ways to sit. Head over to fully, that's F-U-L-L-Y dot com slash livewire to find out more about our pals at Fully. Hey, if you are going to be in Portland this summer, I got to give you a heads up about this super cool event in July. It's called La Ruta PDX. It is a gastronomic festival. It's four days of dinners, tasting, uh, tastings. They'll let you taste more than one thing. Demos, film, art. It's all celebrating the food and culture of Spain. The exact dates are July 13th through the 16th. Uh, There's going to be a collaboration dinner series with chefs who have come over from Spain. By the way, I'm actually going to be leading a question and answer session with some of those chefs if you want to come say hi to me. Although really, let's focus on the chefs here. I mean, they're the ones that traveled from Spain. Maybe just kind of shoot me a subtle wink like, hey, Burbank, I see you. It's going to be an amazing um, few days in Portland. I'm excited to be there. There's going to be a Spanish film premiere at the Portland Art Museum. Anyway, it's going to be awesome. If you're going to be anywhere near Portland, you got to head over July 13th through 16th. And the uh, details are at La Ruta, that's L-A-R-U-T-A-P-D-X dot com. Welcome back to Livewire Radio from PRI. My name's Luke Burbank. Um, our theme this week is above and beyond, and we asked the audience here in the Alberta Rose Theater to tell us the biggest favor that someone else has done for them, a time when someone went above and beyond for you. And uh, our announcer, Jason Rouse, has collected up some of those answers. Jason, what, uh, what are you learning? Well, uh, Sam writes... My husband got a vasectomy, so I no longer have to deal with birth control. I heard that. that. Yeah, that's the gift that keeps on not giving. Lisa writes, once a complete stranger bought $50 worth of groceries for me when my credit card was declined. It was right before Thanksgiving, and I still think of her kindness and how I can pay it forward. Wow. It's a story of a favor and like the promise of a future favor. Yeah. Which is why I like that one. Tom writes, my mom taught me to ride a unicycle when I was little. and My ability to ride one has broken the ice with people more than once as an adult. Now, my question is, are you just taking a unicycle around with you places? I've only been in a couple situations where there's been a unicycle, but... You ride a unicycle. Uh, I've been known to unicycle around. I went to Daniel Bagley Elementary School when uh, the Seattle Public School System was getting into non-competitive sports. You know, yeah. they realized that, like, dodgeball was scarring generations of children. Yeah. And so we, like, learned how to juggle scarves. We, uh, really, we did unicycling. We just did all these other things. And I really took to the unicycle. And then I bought one with my own money from mowing lawns when I was like 30, yeah. and uh, I still ride it, and it's a real chick magnet. <laughs> do you have one of these, Jason? Like, I, a, know, Do you have a thought I, on a I, favor I, someone's done for yeah. you? Yeah. When I was 15, my dad, it was the summer of I was 15, and my dad um, got me a job with a friend of his at a roofing company, and so I started to work, and I roofed this little house this one day, and it was hard, but it was a lot of fun, and then the next morning, my dad called and said, you know, he doesn't have anything for you the rest of the week. Don't worry about it. And I was like, well, okay. And well, I still, you know, he's like, I'll, I'll see you tonight and I'll, and I'll give you your money. 
And, and I did. Um, and I didn't find out until years later that I had so screwed up the roofing of that house that I was fired. The guy wanted to charge me. He, my dad had to pay the guy. My dad went the next day, took the day off work, re-roofed the house for me, and paid me out of it, you know, just gave me money. Aw, what a yeah. sweetheart. It was a good dad. It was a great favor. That's nice. Yeah. That is very nice. I love him so much. If you see Bob Rouse, give him a pat on the back. Finally, Mary writes, what's the biggest favor someone has done for her? Uh, she writes, I was pulling out of a grocery store parking lot, and an Audi wouldn't let me onto the road, even though he totally could. He was just willfully ignoring me. Two blocks later down the road, he was T-boned, and if he had let me in, it would have been me. So thank you for being a jerk. <laughs> I really am glad Mary got to enjoy that. Yes. This is Livewire Radio from PRI. I'm Luke Burbank. Our theme this week is Above and Beyond. And our next guest, Hari Kondabalu, inhabits a very narrow Venn diagram overlap. It's people who have a master's degree from the London School of Economics and who've also had the number one comedy album on iTunes. It's a short list. It's just Hurry and Larry the Cable Guy. <laughs> he just dropped a surprise comedy album called New Material Night Volume 1. Please welcome my friend, the hilarious Hurry Kondabalu to Livewire. Oh, hello. Hey, gang. How are you? Are you well? Thanks. Thanks. Well, the big news in my life is that my grandmother is visiting us in America from India for the first time in 22 years next week, which, yeah, I'm really excited. And I used to ask my grandma all the time when she was going to visit us in America again, and she would say, I will visit you again on your wedding day. When you finally decide to get married, I will show up on your wedding day. And I guess she finally tapped out. She was like, this is... I don't, have many that, I don't have that many years to wait, so stop it. I performed uh, for my parents recently, which was uh, terrifying. Because, um, you know, I, I don't want to embarrass them. You know, I want them to be proud of me. So what I did is I walked out on stage, and I cut the stand-up, and just took the LSAT. And... <laughs> <laughs> my mom said she felt uplifted and full of hope. I know Portland's changing a lot, but is Portland still weird? You're still weird, right? Oh, thank goodness. The first time I came to Portland was 12 years ago, and uh, a friend introduced me uh, to one of their friends. And introductions are weird for me because my name is Hurry, so people mispronounce it all the time. So this guy's like, hey, man, what's your name? I'm like, it's Hurry. He's like, Hurry? No, it's Hurry. Hurry? No, it's Hurry. Harry? I'm like, hey, man, just make eye contact. We're good, right? <laughs> And, he's, and he got upset. He's like, no, I want to say your name right. It's important that I say your name right, because people say my name wrong all the time, and I'm sick of it. I'm like, all right, man, what's your name? And he's like, my name is Dave. Dave, your name is Dave? That's the problem? He's like, no, not Dave. Dave. <laughs> and so I hugged him. This was a man who could understand my secret pain. And I said, brother, let me ask you, why did your parents name you Dave? 
And he said, well, well, they didn't. They named me Dave, but last year I legally changed it to Dave. <laughs> Spelled D-E-Y-F. No. That is not my problem. That is a much different problem. That is a much larger problem. That is a Portland, Oregon-based problem. There is a difference between someone slapping you and you slapping yourself. I love the Northwest. I used to live in Seattle, and I was in uh, Washington State right before weed became legal. And one of my friends was so excited about weed becoming legal. He's like, man, as soon as weed becomes legal, I'm going to get a bag of weed. I'm going to walk in front of a cop. I'm just going to wave it in his face. I'm going to be like, what are you going to do, cop? What are you going to do? There's nothing you can do, cop. There's nothing you can do. It should be noted at this point that he was obviously very high at the time. And I think it's also obvious uh, that he was white. Because no minority in their right mind is going to try that little trick. You're like, hey, what are you going to do, cop? What, are you what? Use unnecessary force? I'll never see my family again. The classics. <laughs> Man, must, must racism ruin everything? I mean, I used to love Halloween, and now, like, you go to Halloween costume parties and stuff, and you'll see people wearing blackface or geisha costumes or headdresses. I mean, the latter two, the geisha costumes and the headdresses are upsetting because it's cultural appropriation, because you're taking somebody else's culture and using it for your benefit, right? And I was explaining that to a friend, and my friend's like, well, hurry to play devil's advocate. A white man invented basketball, and when I last checked, mostly black people play it. So why can't I wear a headdress? Genocide. That's why you can't wear a head. How do you not know this? First of all, why do people have to play devil's advocate, right? It's basically a phrase you could hide behind to say whatever messed up stuff you want to say while pretending you're objective and denying somebody else's truth, right? More importantly, why does the devil need an advocate? He's the devil. Why does the prince of darkness need your help exactly? Like, what are you telling me is happening here? Like, hey, Steve, it's me, the devil. I need your help right now. Uh, see that woman over there that's saying men and women should be paid equally in the workforce? Well, I want you to tell her on my behalf that she should shut the hell up. Because women take maternity leave. That might cost companies money, and you should tell her that on my behalf. That is not what's happening here. It's just a phrase you could hide behind so you don't look so bad, which is weird, because how doesn't it make you look bad to hide behind the devil? <laughs> no, Steve's not an a-hole. He just does Satan's bidding. That's all. That's all. I mean, he does it for free. He's practically an intern. Yeah, but... For years now, I have wondered, who are these people who still fall for the Nigerian Prince email scam, right? And after last year's election, I found the 60 million people. (laughs) 
I'm, I try to understand the logic of Trump supporters, and I kind of get it, right? Because they feel like they're not in a place they want to be in life, and Trump will uplift them. Trump is the one who's going to take them to where they want to go. He will bring them with him, and he's not going to. He's selfish. He's an egomaniac. That is not what is going to happen, but I get that, right? Trump supporters are like those kids from high school who did all the homework for the rich and popular kids because they'd hope that they'd be rich and popular by association, right? And from personal experience, I will tell you that is not an effective strategy. <laughs> I have a feeling you don't think I was the cool kid in that situation. <laughs> you can go to hell. <laughs> it's weird touring the country right now, man, because there was a lot of hate crimes right before the election, a lot of hate crimes after the election, and a lot of the hate crimes were committed by Trump supporters, and I know they were committed by Trump supporters, because after the hate crimes, they would yell, Trump, which is like a clue. Oh. Like, that doesn't really happen on the progressive end, right? You never hear people say, I now pronounce you husband and husband. Obama! Like, you never hear. <laughs> kind of a one-sided thing. One of the weirder byproducts of Trump being president is for some reason people think George W. Bush was a good president now? Like, how did, how did that happen? When did that become a thing? Yeah. So I remember those eight years vividly. They were not good. Two wars, the economy sank, our civil liberties were taken away. It wasn't a good time, right? But I get it. Relative to now, it seems all right, right? It's like if you lost your leg and you were like, man, I miss gangrene. Good old gangrene. Like, no, you don't. Just relative to now, it seems all right, you know? I don't think Bush was a good president. He was terrible with language, but to his credit, he at least tried the big words. <laughs> he got them wrong, but points for trying. Eh? Trump doesn't try the big words. It's all huge, unbelievable, great. Every time Donald Trump says great, Tony the Tiger dies a little. <laughs> Country's divided, there's protests and uprising, Congress is making up new rules, the last bootstrap factory closed. Like, things are not good. If this was happening in another country, we would be calling for foreign intervention right now. How come no one is foreign intervening with us? Where is Germany? If I remember, they owe us a favor. Thank you very much, Portland, you've been great. Hurry, Kondabalu! Oh, that was nice. It's so nice to see you, and congratulations on all of your success. Uh, you, you and I go way back in Seattle to recording conversations like this at my house <laughs> with nobody around. Now there's a big theater full of people and you've had the number one comedy album on iTunes. And, Thanks, man. Uh, and, and you've just been, you've been having great success and it's well-deserved. You have this new, this album that you dropped, which is, it's called um, New Material Night Volume 1. Right. How did this come about and what is on the album? Sure. So for the last few years, I've decided to go to Seattle and uh, work out a new hour of stand-up comedy. And I'll like book four shows at a 40-seat theater called the Eclectic Theater. And uh, you know, the, the first show, I'll have like bullet points and ideas and very few jokes. And that one is really terrible for the audience. It's a lot of pain. 
I mean, I tell them ahead of time what it's going to be, and I tell them this is why the show is only $7. Like, this is why it works. So you walk in that, that very first one, you just have the sort of vague notion yes. uh, that there might be comedy in them somewhere, Thar Hills. Somewhere But you have to there. mine for it in front of the crowd. Right. And so it's like, you know, usually you do that in an open mic over three or four minutes or maybe five minutes, and I decided to just do it over an hour in front of a, a paid audience. <laughs> and it sells out, apparently. And it sells out every show. Uh, for, there's some sick people in Seattle. And... And the, uh, by the fourth show, there's some semblance of form, and some people come to the first and the fourth show to kind of see what happens. I've been doing this for a few years, so my last album, uh, Mainstream American Comic, uh, that uh, was released uh, by Kill Rock Stars, recorded in Portland, um, it's, a lot of that came out of those sessions, and uh, the session that I decided to put out was, uh, was the only new material night I ever did outside of Seattle. It was in uh, San Francisco. And it was right after I released my first album, Waiting for 2042. So I was in this place of, I need to develop new material. And so I uh, decided to do this gig in San Francisco, you just work on stuff. I put my iPhone out just to record it, and it ends up being a really amazing show. It's one of those shows where afterwards you think, oh man, I wish there was like a, like a special based on that show, because it was such a fun show. And after a few years, you know, I listened to the tapes again, they're still really funny. And, like, I don't use any of those jokes. Like, a lot of those jokes, like, kind of just died that night. They didn't go anywhere. But it was a loose night. I was improvising. You kind of see how jokes are made, how they're structured, like, the development process. And the audio quality wasn't terrible. And plus, it's like, you know, if you're going to actually be honest about the process, I think an iPhone recording is actually pretty honest. That's kind of how they sound. And so I decided to put it out. I called it Hari Kondabolu's New Material Night Volume 1. Uh, I guess I'm releasing my own bootlegs now. I think nice. Nice. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, I read on your Wikipedia page a quote from your mother mm. when she was interviewed, and she said, if someone bullied Hurry at school, he would go after them verbally, giving them long lectures and preach endlessly. He would exhaust them to such an extent that they would beg him to stop and promise him that they would never bully him. <laughs> was that the scene in Queens when you were growing up? I mean, honestly, I don't understand why my mother gets interviewed for things. I don't understand. <laughs> because she's great copy. <laughs> she's very funny. Um, I mean, to some degree, yeah. I mean, I, I, I clearly couldn't fight, so I decided words were my only option. So if I wasn't going to make them laugh, I'd at least exhaust them. There must be something in there. You said your mom's like where you get your comedy from, basically? I think, I think she's, you know, I've said this before, like my mom's the reason why I'm funny. You know, my dad's the reason I have anxiety. But my mom is like... <laughs> You know, she's always had a really dark sense of humor. You know, she's used it for, like, a defense mechanism through difficult times, but also, like, she's just witty. Like, and, and like, her, like, like use of language, her wordplay is brilliant. Like, she's it's just naturally a funny person. So I think definitely a lot of it came from her. Um, I've noticed that every day of the current presidential administration, you have posted a tweet mm -hmm. that says, reminder for day whatever it is, and this is all caps, Trump presidency, colon, this is not normal, parentheses, and normal wasn't that great either, and parentheses. Yep. Are, are you planning on doing this every day uh, until uh, he is no longer president? And why is it important to you to, to remind people that this is not normal? Uh, one, I plan to do it every day until he is not president and potentially when Pence is president. You know, I, I think that's, I mean, I feel like it's important to remind people because, like, 
uh, I think people get comfortable. They get complacent. They just adjust and they think they're, you know, they just move on with their lives. And I want that spirit of that, those first few weeks when he was elected to be there. I mean, there's never been a president where people were protesting the day he got elected, right? Like there was a spirit there that I don't think we should forget. And I, I just worry sometimes that, you know, people will get comfortable and just keep moving. And this is, this is absurd. We have Hari Kondabolu here from the podcast Politically Reactive that you co-host with Kamau Bell. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've also got a comedy album out, Mainstream American Comic, that people can get. Um, are you also still working on a project about the Apu character from The Simpsons? Yes. Um, Tell me about that. I, uh, I just, These I, people thought I just made the most no. racist joke of all time. <laughs> Like, what if you're like, no. Luke, I have no idea what you're talking about. I just figured you knew each other. Who are you confusing me with, Luke? Ah. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to make a documentary about Apu from The Simpsons, who was kind of a childhood nemesis of mine. Um, For a lot of South Asians in America, that was the only character we had, the only representation, right? Like, a cartoon uh, voiced by a white guy, Hank Azaria. And that was all we were. And really, like, all our parents were kind of, like, portrayed as... And, you know, growing up, like, part of the story is about that experience of, like, having to deal with the fact that this is, you know, you, you, you're an American, you feel like American, that's your life, and yet this is what you're minimized to. And the other part of it is kind of like, this is the history of America, though. This isn't new. The cool thing about this character is it's on this amazing show, which I love and I'm a huge fan of, but it kind of got grandfathered in, right? So, that, so you can still see, like, the racism from, like, 25 years ago, right? It's kind of this weird, it's like, you know, the, uh, like, it's in nectar, you know what I mean? Like, it's still, like, it's a a fossil that you can actually see, like, oh, we were that messed up back then, huh? And so I, you know, I just, I pitched this um, documentary to True TV, and they were really excited about it, and they said, absolutely, so we made it, and and it's going to come out hopefully later this year. And it's going to be called The Problem with Apu. All right. (laughs) You're not beating around the bush. No. Also, something that I actually didn't know about you, uh, uh, knowing you for a good while now, but that you actually interned for Hillary Clinton when she was a senator? Yeah, man. Why did, why did you not tell her that if she ever became Secretary of State, she really wants to stick with the regular email system? Because <laughs> that would ultimately become a problem. Um, mainly because I was stuck in the mailroom with the rest of the minorities, so it wasn't <laughs> really... <laughs> I'm not insulting anybody. It's the truth. The people who had connections and, you know, who had parents who were in the know, even if they weren't from the state of New York, got to have the better job. I don't know if you all know this, but uh, America isn't really a meritocracy. And, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, I was in the mailroom, uh, which wasn't a great position to be in, considering this was a few years after 9-11, so there was all those anthrax scares. So, you know, it's not really the job I asked for. Like working you know. in the engine room on the Titanic. Right. <laughs> You're going to be the first to go. Right, right. It was, uh, I mean, it was, it, was a, it was a really interesting experience. I mean, she, she's a celebrity. Like, she was, you know, obviously a politician and is a brilliant a speaker, is, is going to be an important historical figure when we look back. But, like, she's just a celebrity. Like, everyone was always buzzing around her. Like, she, you know, I think everyone assumed she was going to be president. It was just going to happen. So, yeah. When you went to the London School of Economics, were, was your plan to be the most successful comedian to graduate from the London School of Economics? Because <laughs> if I read your timeline right, you were involved in comedy. You, yeah. were, you were getting really interested in that world. And then you get accepted to this prestigious university. Well, the thing is, I didn't want to disappoint my parents all at once. I wanted to draw it out. <laughs> I wanted to draw it out as long yeah. as possible. Savor the flavor. Right. Um, 
my background is in immigrant rights organizing, and that's what I did back in Seattle. I worked with uh, immigrants and refugees. And God, in it for the money. Right. Come to Balu. <laughs> yeah, I went from one lucrative profession yeah. to another yeah. lucrative profession. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I went to, uh, you know, I, I started getting all this buzz in comedy, but I, I didn't expect it because that's not what I trained to do. So I got this master's, and I just couldn't get away from comedy like I couldn't believe the door was open again like I said like we were we just had a cartoon voiced by a white guy and all of a sudden I'm being told I can be on television as me with my voice like that's absurd man like I couldn't believe it so yeah I jumped at it when it when it finally was open obviously you're not the spokesperson for Indian Americans no I am okay well perfect then I'm glad we have you here (laughs) I am part of the uh, Indian American Illuminati yes (laughs) This is how rumors get started. <laughs> um, does it feel like there is, a, there is something that is changing, not just maybe hopefully with The Simpsons, but more broadly speaking with Indian Americans getting cast in different kinds of roles and yeah. getting in TV and movies and stuff? Is that, does that feel like a real thing that's happening? Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely more of that uh, diversity. And it's not so much because people are like, it's the right thing to do. To sh- I think it's because like, oh, these are, there's new storylines that we haven't explored. And also, this might make us more money from brown people. So, I mean, that's kind of the right. truth of the matter. Yeah. The I'm Mindy not sure Project. if you all know this, but America uh, is a capitalist country and <laughs> things are based on money here. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, uh, Hurry, if this is... <laughs> I don't know if this is a question that you can really answer or not, but, but I was thinking about your act and, and the, the way you are on stage and what you tend to focus on. And I was wondering if you, do you get more satisfaction from writing a joke that's just straight up funny or by writing something that really makes people think about the world differently, even if it's, it's not causing as much laughter as much as it's causing people to really take a moment and think about injustice in this world? Straight up funny. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah, because the latter just sounds like slam poetry, and who wants that? I mean, I'm like, that's not lucrative. You clearly didn't look at the rundown. We have a slam poet coming up in about four minutes. <laughs> His name's Dave. <laughs> My name is Dave. It was Dave. Did not feel oppressed because I am a white male. Changed my name to Dave. Felt oppression. Felt oppression. (laughs) (laughs) Hari Kondabalu, everybody. We are here with comedian Hari Kondabalu. Uh, our theme this week is about going above and beyond, which is normally uh, a good thing. It means that you did way more than is necessary, like went to the London School of Economics, then also became a successful, beloved stand-up comedian. Okay? But sometimes going above and beyond can backfire because sometimes it's just way too much, right? Mm-hmm. So here's what we've put together, Hurry. Some scenarios. These are things that really happened, okay, in real life, we would like you to weigh in on if this person went above and beyond in a good way or if it was just way too much. You take it to the limit all the time. All right, hurry. 
These are these are real things that happened, okay. and and just let us know if it was above and beyond in a good way or if it was maybe too much. IKEA labels all their posters with pictures of giant cinnamon buns or hot dogs, with the disclaimer, not actual size. <laughs> is that above and beyond, or is that like way too much? Um, this is it's way too much, but God bless them. <laughs> all right. Above and beyond or way too much? Hansel and Gretel killing the old woman at the end of the grim fairy tale. Above and beyond or was that like way too much? Uh, ooh, that's a really, ooh. Um, I mean, the, to be fair, the, the old witch was, wanted to commit a, a, a double murder. Yeah. And they just committed a single murder, so above and beyond. Okay. Yeah. That's sound logic. How about this real thing that I still kind of can't believe happened? When Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez were a power couple back in 2002, (laughs) Ben bought Jennifer a $105,000 toilet seat embedded with rare gems as a gift. Above and beyond or way too much? That's way too much, man. (laughs) That's so gross. (laughs) Final one, hurry. Okay. Uh, above and beyond, or maybe just way too much, in their popular 2005 song, My Humps, the Black Eyed Peas say, My Humps, 34 times. We had an intern count. We haven't seen her since, but we have this on good authority. It's 34 times. Is that above and beyond, or is that maybe way too much? Wait, what's the name of the song? My Humps. Well, then My obviously... Humps, My Humps, My Humps. Oh, well, if, it, if that's the name of the song, then it's definitely uh, above and beyond. I mean, it can't be way too much. The name of the song is My Humps. If they did it twice, it'd be like, why did they call it that? (laughs) (laughs) I can't argue with your logic, my friend. (laughs) Hurry Kondabalu, everybody. LiveWire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, an airline with over 800 daily departures to over 100 cities, even to tropical unAlaskan lands like Costa Rica and Hawaii. And with a name like Alaska, you know their air conditioning will be on point. Alaska Airlines, fly nice. This is LiveWire Radio from PRI. I'm Luke Burbank. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Hey, it's Luke and... I just want to take a moment to say thank you so much to all of you who contributed to our spring member drive this year. Did you know that your donations actually led to our most successful member drive ever? Yeah, I got on this very podcast asking you to step up and help support Liveware, and you done stepped up. So thank you so much. We would not be able to do this show without you, and we really, really appreciate it. We want to give a special thanks this episode to a couple of members of our League of Extraordinary Listeners. And those members would be Blake Reed of Portland, Oregon. Blake, who not only donates to the show, but volunteers all the time at the actual production. Thanks, Blake. High five. Appreciate it. And Catherine Jones of Portland, Oregon. Thank you, Catherine. Blake and Catherine supported Livewire during our last drive, and then they renewed their membership with us again this year. So just take a moment to... Think about Blake and Catherine. Not only did they support the show and get us to this point, but they've re-upped and they're going to continue supporting the show. Thank you, Blake and Catherine. You guys are awesome. 
Welcome back to Livewire Radio from PRI. My name is Luke Burbank. We're at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. Our musical guest this hour goes above and beyond what one person with one instrument is typically able to create. Through the use of digital effects and looping, Joe Kai's performances have been called a mesmerizing symphony by critics. His latest album is Seed to Sprout. Please welcome Joe Kai to Livewire. Hi, Joe. Welcome to the show. Hey, Luke. Thanks. When did you start looping things? Sure. So I, I started playing violin uh, in fourth grade, thanks to a wonderful program in the Seattle public school system. Got sick of playing music that had been written 500 years ago by dead white men. Um, <laughs> and uh, not that there's not times that I really resonate with Shostakovich or the melodies of Tchaikovsky, um, but I yearned to create something that was, that was from here, um, that was from myself. Yeah. We didn't plan on this, but could you yeah. give us a little kind of sonic demonstration of sort of how looping works? Sure. I mean, yeah. I don't mean to put you on the spot. I know no, you're going to play no, no, no. a song too, but I'm just really fascinated by the mechanics of this whole thing. So I'll describe for the radio audience. Joe has uh, a number of pedals that are set up on the stage. Uh, you've got the violin out. And yeah, could you just give us a little demo? Sure. Um, so here's the violin. I can record myself on stage. I have a couple of different pedals, but here's the recording pedal. So if I have, I don't know, a little melody, do 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 then I can walk away, right, and put the violin down. You can come over back here and just no do the rest of the interview. Backing yourself up on vocals. But I can record other things on top of it, so Etc. ad nauseum, really, yeah. Wow, that is really cool. Have you ever just lost yourself for like eight hours in one loop? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, what song are we going to hear? The song's about growing up. I'll roll master fade. 
literary criticisms in the tongue of a stranger Everything I've heard, everything I've said, everything I've thought In the moment that passed us away from me Passed away from you, passed away from us Passed the path to the swings in the back of my complex Singing to the heavens, bring her home, Lord hear us Deliver us and purchase us a Benz assigned Jesus If I could fly to you, I would I wouldn't be giving up so soon La -da 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 -da. Don't you worry about a thing I'm here in your pocket too La -da 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 -da. I dream of escaping this madness that surrounds us, confounds us, leaves us astounded and doubtful of love around us. When all I have to do is say hello, how are you, how does it feel, is that so, is that true for you too? Yes, all I do may not lead to success, but the days I digress, I am blessed as a guest to dance with the best of us, cry with the worst of us, and stretch like the octopus inside of us, in spite of us. Joe, Kai. All right, here we are at the end of the show. Let's tell you who helped make it all possible. First of all, thanks to our guests, Hurry Kondabalu, Faith Saley, and Joe Kai. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines and fully hotel accommodations generously provided by Provenance Hotels. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Laura Haddon is our producer and editor. Becky Fogel is our associate producer. Jason Rouse is our announcer. Caitlin Kunkel wrote for this show. 
Our house band is A. Walker Spring, Ethan Fox Tucker, and Jonathan Newsom. Molly Pettit is our technical director. D. Neil Blake does our house sound and our recordings. Big thanks to Carlson Audio. Lauren Masterson is our development director, and Laura Harden is our marketing director. Tim Harkins is our operations manager. Additional funding provided by the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire is made possible by our listeners. Special thanks this week to member Carol Gabrielli of Portland, Oregon. For more info about our show, how to get our newsletter or podcast, head to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Public Radio International. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is... Uh, It would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review. Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.